welcome to Easy, Easy Bake Takes, the podcast, where we read you the reviews of your favorite movies and more. My name's Kat. And I'm Riley. And this week, we're following the theme of melancholy romance, drama, heartbreaking, shattering, stomach dropping. My favorite genre, pain. <laughs> <laughs> this is where my sadness lives. <laughs> Hello. His name's Jim Carrey. <laughs> I'm so excited to hear. I'm very nervous to hear what you have to say about this. So I'm going to go ahead and get in. Today's movie, Following Up Past Lives, is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. This was made in 2004. It's rated R. It's an hour 48 minutes. Let me go ahead and read the plot and then we'll get into it. If you haven't seen this movie, it actually might help to know the plot a little bit more. Yeah, I'd watch it twice. It's definitely one of those movies where it will make sense, more sense the second time you watch it. Thank God for hair colors. Oh my <laughs> God. I can't imagine. I can't imagine. I'd be so fucking confused. That was so smart of them. Like, you were like, why? And it's just like, no, it's it's literally to help you. Yeah. All right, we'll get into it. Joel Barish discovers that his estranged girlfriend, Clementine Krasinski, has undergone a procedure to have her memories of him erased by the New York City firm Lacuna. Heartbroken, he decides to undergo the same procedure. In preparation, he records a tape recounting his memories of their volatile relationship. Lacuna employees work on Joel's brain as he sleeps in his apartment, so he will wake up with no memory of the procedure. One employee, Patrick, since her procedure, he has been using Joel's and Clementine's memories as a guy for seducing her. While the procedure runs on Joel's brain, the technician Stan and the secretary Mary take drugs and party and have sex over his sleeping body. <laughs> I love the clash, man. <laughs> it's because, like, they're named the clash. It's like a political statement. <laughs> The way she moves his hand, like, away from him, he's just, <laughs> he's just unconscious. Oh my god. Joel re-experiences his memories of Clementine as they are erased, starting with their last fight. As he reaches earlier, happier memories, he realizes he does not want to forget her. His mental projection of Clementine suggests that Joel hide her in memories that do not involve her. This halts the procedure, but Stan calls his boss, Howard. <laughs> who arrives and restarts it. Joel comes to his last remaining memory of Clementine the day they first met on a beach in Montauk. As the memory crumbles around them, Clementine tells Joel to meet her in Montauk. In Joel's apartment, while Stan is outside, Mary tells Howard she's in love with him, and they kiss. Ugh. Howard's wife arrives and sees them through the window. I wonder how you feel about this. I can't wait to talk about it. <laughs> You're very subtle. <laughs> And she sees them through the window. Furious, she tells Howard to tell Mary the truth. That Mary and Howard previously had an affair and that Mary had her memories erased. Disgusted, Mary steals the lacuna records and mails them to the patients, including Joel and Clementine. Joel wakes up, his memories of Clementine erased. He impulsively goes to Montauk and meets Clementine on the train home. They are drawn to each other and they go on a date to the frozen Charles River in Boston. Joel drives Clementine home and Patrick sees them, realizing they have found each other again. Joel and Clementine receive their lacuna records and listen to their tapes. They are shocked by the bitter memories they had of each other and almost separate again, but agree to try again. So, I'll go through the uh, information. So, it's directed by Michael Gondry. Writing credits go to Charlie Kaufman, as well as Michael Gondry and Pierre Bismuth. Cast, we have Jim Carrey, who plays Joel Barish. Kate Winslet, who plays Clementine Krasinski. Elijah Wood, who plays Patrick. I love Elijah Wood. I've never seen him play a villain. Evil. Gross. Just disgusting. Disgusting. Oh my pervert. Not Elijah Wood, just the character he plays. I love Elijah Wood, but I just hate him in this movie. Mark Ruffalo, who plays Stan. We have David Cross, who plays Rob. Woo! I forgot he's in this movie. He just pops up. Kirsten Dunst, who plays Mary. And we have Tom Wilkinson, who plays Dr. Uh, Mears. What is it? Howard. Just Howard. <laughs> it's Dr. Howard. I love Kirsten Dunst, and I always forget how many weird fucking movies she's been in because I always just think of her in um, Bring It On. Oh, that's funny. That is a weird movie, though, but, like, not as weird as, you know, like, Virgin Suicides. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's a hard one to watch. I like her a lot. She's great. I tried to watch, because uh, people always talk about, with Kirsten Dunst, like, her weirder stuff. I, this is a She's an odd girl in this movie. She's just... Well, go try and watch the movie Melancholia. Oh, I hate that movie. Thank you. I hate that movie. Thank you. 
I didn't finish it. We had to watch it for class. I'd never been more pissed at a movie. And the whole thing about that director is like he likes to make movies that make people angry. Not in, in an abhorrent or political or in a moral way. Just to piss people off because it's a stupid fucking movie. Mm -hmm. I hate that. <laughs> and he won he wins because of it he got what he wanted okay weirdo i don't <laughs> he wins i can't be mad because you get off on that it's lars von trier duh he's a fucking weirdo i hate him because he makes stupid fucking movies and he gets what he wants i only watched it because people are always like she's so good in melancholia well you should have told me whether or not melancholia was a good movie it's just not and i love her she's a great actress as well don't get me wrong but that movie pissed me the I'm so glad you hate that movie because that's that's a recent addition. I don't know a person who likes that movie. Thank God. I've only ever heard people talk about Kirsten Dunst in it and they were like, she's great in this movie. And that's fair and that's fine. I love her character. I'm upset because of what everyone's doing to her character. Mm hmm. It's stupid and it's the whole. Ugh, anyway, I'm going to move on. <laughs> I'm going to move on. Yes. Sorry. Tagline. I already forgot how I used to feel about you. That was one of them. The other one was who would you erase? in your life like if you had the option like if you had the chance to change your fate <laughs> would <yeah. you? laughs> so we're gonna get into some trivia did you have how much money it made or anything like that oh no i can look it up real quick yeah yeah just because i know it's like an indie movie it got really good scoring on Rotten tomatoes like 92 from critics 94 from audience oh, okay budget estimated 20 million and then worldwide it grossed 73 million pretty good yeah despite the fact that charlie coffin's script and michael gondry's visual concepts were closely followed the cast members were allowed many chances to improvise elijah wood and mark ruffalo improvised extensively and much of the dialogue between jim carrey and kate winslet resulted from videotaped rehearsal sessions during which the two became close by sharing tales of their real life relationships and heartbreaks it seems like the right group of people to do that with. A great cast of very talented actors, some of which, you know, had very successful careers later on. And uh, one of which has a whole, had a whole career built on improv. Exactly. I mean, some of the best names. And Kate Winslet. You could possibly have. And Kate Winslet, of course. British. British. <laughs> Amazing. I love her so much. Beautiful. Beautiful. That's a woman written by a woman right there. <laughs> <laughs> yup. <laughs> Just her as a person, not the character. <laughs> not the character. No, not the character. I have some opinions about that. And understandable. Understand. This movie's not perfect, no. I will admit. Did I still feel? Yeah. Of course. I'm not. I'm a human being. <laughs> I, I'm overly sensitive. Of course I felt. <laughs> I'm a human being with emotions. Of course I did. It has its flaws. We'll get into <laughs> them. But the idea for this film was brought to Michael Gondry by his friend, artist Pierre Bismuth, who suggested you get a car in the mail that says someone you know has just erased you from their memory. Sounds like Black Mirror. It is. It's I always forget this movie sci-fi, but it's such a sci-fi concept. I feel like the person who made that Black Mirror episode where it's his, his wife cheated on him and he's going through her memories. It feels like the person who made that definitely loved this movie and wanted to expand on that idea. Or at least through visual when you play with that concept of memory and total access to the brain we should not have that access this is such a nightmare scenario it would get abused so quickly so quickly even for yourself because you don't know what damage you're putting yourself in by having total access to every waking moment of your day the cons outweigh the pros so much see initially throughout the train scene the music was supposed to fill up the gap during the silence between joel and clementine until screenwriter charlie kaufman suggested they do the opposite music was then played when joel and clementine talked and paused when they paused which i love feeling the silence feeling the silence and when they are speaking music's playing when joel is in his head and visiting his session of the erasing process no special effects were used to show the two joels in the one scene jim carrey had to take off his hat and jacket when he was not in the shot and had to quickly sit down in the chair and vice versa when he had to stand up. That's why his hair's different in that two shots. Why would they do it like that? You don't even need special effects to do that. You really don't. You just need to cut the scene, you know, like... Have a stand-in. Very artsy. And they, I guess they were just trying different things. It's not a one-man play. You don't have to do that. I think the director was just bullying the actors at some point and was just like, do this. Okay, Kubrick, chill out. I don't know. He had his own 
weirdness about him. The scene where Joe and Clementine watched the circus grow through the streets was made up on the spot. As the film crew and cast happened to be working nearby, and director Michael Gondry decided it could work well in the film. The part where Clementine disappears suddenly is one of Gondry's favorite moments of the film, as Jim Carrey didn't know Kate Winslet was going to disappear, and Gondry liked it because Carrey's face appears so saddened. When the sound blanks out in the final film, Carrey's actually saying Kate. I understand getting genuine reactions, and I think that's useful. Mm-hmm. When were they acting, though? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, a lot of it. Did you dub over every time they said each other's names, or? Did they not know there was a movie? <laughs> we just, they thought there was a documentary about their budding relationship, or? <laughs> Very true, though. <laughs> Kate Winslet mentioned to Empire Magazine this was her own favorite performance, which she does amazing. Say what you want about the character or how it was written. No, she does it well. She does it well. It seems like a fun role to play. Definitely. Virtually all of the most bizarre and fascinating scenes in this movie were created with old-fashioned camera, editing, lighting, and prop and set tricks. The use of digital effects was very limited. The striking kitchen scene with Joel as a child was created with an elaborate forced perspective setup similar to some used by Peter Jackson in Lord of the Rings trilogy. I'm imagining. They're like, hey, Elijah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Get over here. We need your help. How did, uh, how did Peter do this? <laughs> Show us. <laughs> Can you call him? Go ahead. Go on, Hobbit. Go. <laughs> Get out there, nerd. <laughs> Come on, Frodo. <laughs> go, go. Get in there. <laughs> Michael Gondry had a unique system of controlling his camera operators while shooting by use of a headset for himself and earpieces for the two operators. He would speak to them in French while cameras were rolling and the actors were doing their parts, so Gondry could have a say on all angles no matter where the actors were. This resulted in a large degree of spontaneity since the actors could decide while well in character whether to have an entire conversation sitting on a couch or get up and walk to a window. Kate Winslet said that she felt this freedom enhance her performance and that sometimes they would do different takes of the same scene completely differently based purely on gut feelings for what the characters might have done. Who edited this movie? Because I'm sure they don't have any hair left. This is a nightmare of a director. Yeah. I'm sure it wasn't as bad as I'm thinking. I'm sure they made it work. They get a shot list, whatever. They get a log of the... And eventually, they did make it work based on what I saw in the movie. Obviously, we got a finished product. I don't big hard on this director. It's nothing towards the movie. We got a nice finished product. That's just insane. It, yeah, the process is different. Clementine's hair goes through several color changes, blue, orange, red, and green, and brown, which seems to be her natural hair color. This helps the viewer keep track of where the relationship with Joel corresponds to the plot. Yeah, I would have no clue what's going on if her hair did not change. The red looks great. Red does look great, and that was Kate Winslet's favorite. According to Mark Ruffalo, the scene where Stan and Mary dance in their underwear over an unconscious Joel was improvised. When were they, they acting? acting? <laughs> were they acting? The script was just a sentence. Here's the plot. This is uh, a general... Maybe. We'll see where it goes. It could change. Could be anything. Depending on what you do. <laughs> could be cool. Could be nice. Could be, uh, let's see. Let's see where it goes. <laughs> Kate Winslet's different hair colors were achieved through wigs, not dyeing, since the film wasn't shot in sequence. She sometimes had to have different colors on the same day, so dyeing wasn't practical. You're telling me that wasn't growing out of that woman's head? It looks like her hair. Those were good wigs. Those were really good wigs. That's where the budget went. When Jim Carrey first met with Michael Gondry about starring in the film, he was suffering from a depressive episode. Over lunch, Gondry told Carrey, You are so beautiful right now. You are so broken. Please don't get well. Recounting the story over a decade later, Carrey would remark, That's how fucked up this business is. I wasn't going to, but I don't take anything back that I've said about this director. It, and that's fine. I totally agree. There's a really fucked up one coming up. and Yeah. yeah fuck that guy. Jeez. No, for real. Meow. Oh, this is irritating. Reporters tried to interview Jim Carrey as the unplanned scene with Joel and Clementine at the street parade was being filmed. If you listen closely, you can hear somebody shout, Speak to me at Jim Carrey. It's such an eerie thing to shout at someone, Speak to me. That's why you plan. You don't just spontaneously decide to film a scene. Uh, yeah, too, too much shit like this happens, you know? I feel like this director was too lazy to get permits, or he wouldn't let anyone get permits because that would slow him down. Maybe. I can see that. 20 million is not a huge budget, so I get it, but like, <sighs> have security block the area off, get a permit. Have Elijah Wood go grab the reporters. Yeah, have Mike, <laughs> Mark Ruffalo and Elijah Wood stand like this. <laughs> yeah, literally, Elijah Wood could distract them. Look, it's Frodo. It's me, Frodo. <laughs> Leads them away. <laughs> I'm going on an adventure. <laughs> I know that's Bilbo, but like, that would work. <laughs> 
Use your resources. <laughs> Jim Carrey was often frustrated when filming as Michael Gondry would contradict what he was saying to other cast members. Gondry explained that I had to talk to Kate Winslet in a different room to tell her, go as big as you want. This is a comedy. And to Jim, I'd say this is a drama, not a comedy. There's a certain amount of like trust and respect that I think comes in with directing and like if you explained to him this is to help with the scene and to help you somebody like Jim Carrey who's trying to break out of comedy to have a director just keep pulling him aside and going this is a drama not a comedy that sounds infuriating alone yeah and then turning to your co-star going this is a comedy you know like you gotta have clear communication and why you're giving this direction don't patronize them don't treat them like children that can't know anything like yeah and if you are going to talk to them separately at least explain like hey this is this is important for how this scene is going to go i need to talk to you separately be transparent because i want you to do something i want you to do something but i don't want y'all to know what you're doing i just need y'all to roll with it I feel, I don't know. This is where the base of it is, though. It's like, if you see your actor is frustrated, your job is to help him get through the scene. You're not going to fulfill your vision if you're not being transparent with him. Yeah, exactly. Oh, this is the really fucked up one. After filming the scene in the sink for over two hours, Case Winslet fainted. Michael Gondry wanted to continue filming, which angered Jim Carrey. Carrey refused to continue shooting until he knew Winslet was all right. Again, this is validating my permit thing. Uh-huh. He's too lazy, and he cares too much about getting this thing done and being authentic. She fainted. Also, this is a water scene, so, like, who's helping her? Who's holding her, her head above water? Was the first AD tied up and shoved in a closet this whole time? Because somebody had to have been like, hey, no, 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 this is a safety risk. This is not... Yeah, no kidding. And she fainted. Like, give her a second. Let her have a break. Where was the first AD? I swear to God, there either wasn't one or he was tied up he or she was tied up in a closet and like shoved in there locked all day until they were done just so they could say they were there elijah wood has to go unlock the door and go sorry he made me <laughs> wasn't my call dude it wasn't he, my elijah call elijah would slip in snacks under the door yes. like this is just a crumbled up bagel i'm so sorry I'm sorry the little note ring crayon i'm sorry <laughs> Mark Ruffalo is holding like a straw and a water bottle. <laughs> it's it's all like it's like four straws like connected together into this like little water cup. <laughs> Fuck this guy. I don't want to validate his methods at all. I know. I don't want to get him credit. Well, he wasn't really directing. He was just torturing them and telling them to improv. Exactly. Until he liked what he saw. I'm looking through his uh, filmography. Mm -hmm. Majority of his stuff has 30% to 50% ratings. He also directed historically one of the worst movies ever, The Green Hornet. <gasps> really? Not surprising. Not surprising. There you go. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get into our thoughts and feelings. I'm really nervous to hear what you say. So what did you think? Okay, the first thought that I had while watching this was what would I be like if I had watched this as a teenager? <laughs> yep. I fear for my life. <laughs> that timeline exists somewhere. <laughs> and I'm bald in that timeline. <laughs> Clementine is the blueprint for what a manic pixie dream girl is. I think she's patient zero if I'm not, if I'm not, if <laughs> she's ground zero. I, I was literally, I was like, don't say ground zero. I wrote that down. She's ground. No, she's patient zero. <laughs> well, so many people are like, she walks so Ramona Flowers can run. It, this movie, like, it's not the worst of, of manic pixie dream girl for sure. Like, you haven't seen 500 Days of Summer, right? Not all of it. No, that's the worst version of it. Mm, okay that's where we we shouldn't take it it's like a, the the, <laughs> the guy is like a, a pretentious little indie boy who listens to like the smiths and thinks he's original <laughs> and it, it was clear watching it that this is where that started but like zoe deschanel's character is uh her only purpose is to teach the main character a lesson and she doesn't get to be a character otherwise mm -hmm. this one she seems like more of a three-dimensional character yes i think so too she's just the blueprint she's just the blueprint <laughs> Well, it's like Ramona, Ramona Flowers and Summer from 500 Days of Summer. Mm -hmm. They're like two roads that diverged in a yellow wood. Uh-huh. And uh, <laughs> the less traveled one was 500 Days of Summer. Ramona Flowers is light work. Yeah. 
she's a mix of those two. That's that's the two directions people could take Clementine in. Yeah. A lot of people were angry about her character or like how she was written at least. I don't think she's the worst written female character out there. No, definitely not. Especially with where Kate Winslet takes this character. Yeah. I see issues there with her character, like for sure. But, and I wonder if this part was something that was improvised when she's like asking, am I ugly? And she's like yelling at her. Like that was like a, okay. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> oh, all right. Uh, all right. <laughs> I didn't do that per se, but I feel what you're saying. Oh, I know what uh, you're talking about. <laughs> I know the feeling, but I didn't do that. Um, you know, maybe she brought the feeling to that moment, but didn't write the situation. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. And I could see the issue of we learn a lot about her, but we don't fully experience other than like really that moment, what that means to her as a character. We just know that about her. I'm not going to give these people the credit to say that it's like, oh, well, we're we're showing how women are viewed. No, she's like not a very deep character. So I think that's where people would get upset. I could see that. And that's understandable. And I, I see that as well. And her main issue where we see more a deeper thing is based on how she looks and mentioned in a way where she's asking for male validation through it. Yeah. I could see that being an issue. Is it the worst character? No. But I I was like, I, I know how this got bastardized in other things. Yeah. Yeah, I really just kept thinking like, I, I'm so glad I never saw this as a teenager because I don't think I would have acted Survived. correctly. <laughs> no, I wouldn't have acted correctly. Like short term 12 got me enough. Yeah. Mark Ruffalo is so handsome in this movie, though. Oh, my God. He's so young. He's so cute. Oh, my gosh. Very cute. I was happy to see Elijah Wood for, like, five seconds. Yeah, until he starts talking. <laughs> and even Mark Ruffalo's like, don't. Even he's a little, what the fuck? But that gets blown off so quickly. It gets blown off really quickly. I, th I thought he stood his ground a little bit more on it, because I was like, at least he's calling him out for it. But then he starts laughing. Well, he said, don't tell me that. He didn't say, don't do that. He said, don't tell me that. Yeah. My issue with that is they're too cut and dry about it I think and it doesn't really feel like they're saying anything either way they're just like this guy stole her underwear and that's gross and her character thinks that's gross and this guy didn't do much to stop it it just feels of that era the way that Mark Ruffalo's character reacts to it doesn't it doesn't make it feel like them writing that was as big of a deal of him only being like, don't tell me that. I don't know how to explain it. It just doesn't feel like it. Or they're not making any point against it, is how I felt. That's fair. They're showing like, yeah, that is gross. We can all acknowledge this is gross. But there's nothing to be said about him just saying, don't tell me that, and then kind of blowing it over. True. And it's really only talked about in a way of Jim Carrey, because he's hearing all this happen. Yeah. And he's saying, oh, this guy's stealing my journals and seducing her, and he stole her underwear. And I guess it could be only viewed as bad because it's violating Jim Carrey's character, not... Yeah, not Clementine. Not Clementine. He's the one being screwed, not her. Yeah. I'm not giving them any credit to say that anything other than showing that that character is doing something gross. Yeah, I get what I get what you're saying in that way. Now to a uh, Kirsten Dunst character. Okay, I'm I'm so ready to talk about this. Once you find out that she's the one that chose to wipe all of it, my first question was, did she really? Because there's a point in the recording that she's listening to. She's describing how they first met. She goes, I don't know if I can do this. He goes, we both agreed we would do this. I'm like, oh, so now it's both of you. He didn't because he knew everything. So first it was her. Now it's both of you. How much did she really want to do this? Because even in the recording she literally goes I don't know if I can do this I sort of appreciate that the wife's anger is mostly directed at Howard yeah because she knows that he's disgusting and that she's a kid like yeah it's her husband this is their problem mm -hmm. and she even is like there's a lot of this where it feels like you took advantage of her there's even a little sympathy for her at some point and the cringiness of her character that is telling to how easily he probably took advantage of her uh, her emotional intelligence yeah, and like wanting to impress him, he could sense how cloying she was and how easy it would be for him to just take advantage of this interest and infatuation. This younger, how old is she supposed to be? She seems like 20. Yeah, like she's young. She's a front desk person. She's not doing anything medical. Yeah, true, actually. Yeah, I would think she had to be. She seems pretty young. Yeah. Even then, he is clearly way older than her and he's her boss. He's literally a dude with a whole ass wife and 
is grown. Kids and business and... Like, he has the wherewithal to know that that's wrong. Yeah. Her character is just so sad. Yeah. And naive. That's why I appreciate her character sending the files out. It's a growing moment, at least. I'm sure there's a good handful of people who didn't know or didn't fully want to do it. Exactly, yeah. Because it seems shady. You're going to someone's house to do this. Nobody's supervising you. Medical students going to your home while you're unconscious. It's so awful. The whole business itself is the creepiest, shadiest thing. I'm thinking too hard about this. I don't think the people who wrote this were thinking this hard about this. But like, what about the people whose brains are not done developing? What if you stunt brain development? What if she, Kirsten Dunn's character is a little older than that, but her brain development got stunted because they erased her memory? Yeah. Now I'm mad. <laughs> I know. It goes back to that um, Black Mirror thing that we were talking about earlier. Just the more you think about like morally, morally, ethically, like should we really have full control of what we remember and what we see and- And who else has access to that? And who else has access to that? Is that great? It usually isn't. It's not. Never ends well. But I, I will say like the romance in this movie, I like that idea of you're so linked to each other, soulmates, you will find each other no matter matter what I understand why even if it was like a faint reference in past lives I could understand how these two movies would go together that's the realistic version of it yeah I like romance stories like that like it's so beautiful just this idea of that person you would find them in every life they have that foundation of chemistry and where they're just con always going to be drawn together and there's something beautiful about that you could also say like the fact that the first memories that he went through was the fight when you're in a relationship the first things that come to the surface for you sometimes are like angry it's easier to recall angry moments than it is to remember those very loving moments that he had to go deeper in for yeah i could also see that being a bittersweet ending what if you just end up back at that same place because that argument was over something so fundamental to a relationship where he wasn't ready to have kids and he basically told her i don't know if you'd be a good mom that is a hefty statement to say to somebody that's how i felt i was like oh this kind of feels like they're gonna repeat a cycle and that's what's gonna lead to my question so there's like two groups about the end of this movie one you are optimistic they have a second go around they could learn from their mistakes they could grow as people or two you think they're just gonna repeat it yeah listen i think it comes to child of divorce or my parents are still together here because <laughs> i'm on the second chances don't always work out <laughs> i think it's a hopeful ending i'm in the 50 percent of marriages that divorce <laughs> i i'm on the optimistic side i think they get a second chance there are a lot of people who are like no it's just they, they're just gonna repeat what they did but at least they get a second shot at least they get to do it again i don't know if i watched this younger i think i would be able to see it in a more optimistic way but it's like that is such a fundamental thing of a relationship you shouldn't be together if you don't see eye to eye on something like that she was ready then and he's not ready and i understand like reevaluate the time and whatever I think it could be worked out but I just I don't think the odds are in their favor is there going to be a fight over whether or not to find out and listen to those tapes you know or do you start fresh or do you start I don't know I guess that's the decision I don't know I could I could find optimism either way yeah if they knew what broke them up and they could decide then and there like is this worth pursuing further or do we just call it here well, you know, that's not life. Life is- I'd tell them to break up. I, if I was her friend, I'd be now. like- if I, What about their friends? What about- who, Where are her friends? That's unrealistic. Yeah, she has no friends. There's a, a best friend out there named uh, Mandarin. Who's like, <laughs> like uh-uh, I remember all of it. This is why- I could see the optimistic side of it. It's not one of those things where I couldn't understand seeing it optimistically. It's not, I'm not as hard set on it. Like, I get how they'll just repeat what they did because they're the same people that... They didn't go to therapy. They didn't go to therapy and they're not really learning from their lessons because they have no lessons to learn from. But they do have this knowledge of we were together once and happy and then we weren't. Let's have another go around and see what happens. I think that in itself is just, just hopeful enough. I'm just happy that they have the option to know. Yeah. I don't know. That's a personal level thing. I don't think that I could just, well, we broke up. What happened? What was it? And do you still feel this way? Yeah. But also they had that argument when they were at a point in their relationship where it was harder to look back and see those happy things. Exactly. Oh, God. That's so fucking shitty. I'm just going to... 
You said you're not gonna be a good mom. Yeah, that's a pretty... Oh, my brain. This is like the, I don't think I could be as strong as the husband in past lives thing. Yeah. It's like, if I found that out, I don't, ooh. And I do agree. I think that is a breakup worthy statement. Once you say that, that is... That is a... Can't look at you the same kind of thing. You really can't. I get that. Even if you're not seriously talking about it, but just to hear that... Yeah. That's a hard thing to hear. I don't want to, like, continually keep comparing it to, like, past lives. But the only other thing I'll say about it is, like, I feel like this is unintentionally gives you, like, realism at the end. Whether or not you want to be optimistic or... I guess the flip side of it would be more realistic i guess but i don't want to say that the optimism isn't realistic because i think there it could be realistic it could be and past lives just shows you the realism of all of it yeah that's just life that's just real life but i leave both of them feeling the same i feel validated in my own relationship yes mm -hmm. they both show you what real life love looks like and what genuine connection with someone is and we can speculate about how things go afterwards too that's the general thing that i think links these two movies together is the what ifs and montauk and montauk <laughs> <laughs> yep yep but i i enjoyed it i understand how it is very 2004 it's very 2004 the like upbeat little score uh-huh it's like oh <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, it also it sounded enough like uh wes anderson where i was like i can i understand the era it's like quirky it wouldn't play well today but like the train scene with the with the music mm -hmm. i would have not chose that yeah an indie drama romance and there's fucking clown music playing yeah <laughs> so he's 20 years old i'm just not remembering now realizing that. Ew, uh, that's fucking ew, crazy uh, man <laughs> why would you say that i'm just not realizing it 2004 i'm like that was oh but that's all i had like specifically Wait, what do you think you would do do you think you would want to know yeah knowing me it would eat me up it would eat me up truly like if i'm gonna get back involved with this guy i gotta know why in the first place See, I don't think I'm like Clementine, though. No. I think I'm more of a Joel, uh, more introverted. But we're both Geminis. We're we are nosy. both Geminis. I gotta know. I'm nosy. Especially about my business. Yeah. I have medical files about something I don't know. remember it happened. Give that. Give it here. What was it? What were in her memories? Yeah. Oh, the other perspective of her. Hmm. I think that's what a lot of people probably have a problem with is that we're only getting his perspective of it all. It's only his and it's, it's kind of frustrating in that way. Yeah. Yeah. We only experience her through him. We don't know how she feels about it really. And I get how that's frustrating. I get that. But what did what did you, because when was the first time you saw this movie? I saw this back in high school and I didn't realize until I turned on the movie. It was only my second time watching this movie. You talked about it like it. I know. <laughs> I've done that too. I have this movie up so much and I turned it on. I was like, I actually don't remember hardly anything. <laughs> I was a little nervous at the beginning. And then I was like, okay, I like this movie. I think it's objectively a well done movie. Interesting concept. Interesting concept. Good acting. I like the story. Flaws for sure. Don't get me wrong. But I was nervous what you thought about it. But like, would you say you like you liked it at least? I liked it. I understand why so many people have an attachment to this movie. Yeah. I wouldn't go as far to say I have an attachment. I do think no, it's a good movie. But that's how though. you sold it to me. I <laughs> I was really I was like, I gotta get this movie in here. <laughs> I gotta sell it. Truthfully, only second time watching this movie. So have I seen it the same amount of times as you? Because I watched it twice. Did you watch it twice? Yes, I didn't understand it the first time. Okay, good. Okay, I'm glad you watched it twice. Like, it's a lot in the first time around. They just throw you in there. You could tell they didn't have a plan. It Yes, it's a lot. And a lot of reviewers were like, yeah, the first time I watched it, I didn't get it. I was like, that's understandable. Like, I do not judge anyone who didn't like it after watching the first time. You said you don't, you'd watched it once in high school? Once in high school. I remember liking it. Was it a time where you definitely didn't fully get it or like you had a different idea of it do you think or because you hadn't dated anybody at that point no yeah no kidding i mean i pr i know i didn't understand it in the way that i understand it now mm -hmm. am i liking it i might be more melancholy when i was younger watching it because i remember i would tell people like oh yeah that's a sad movie yeah it wasn't as sad as you were selling it it's not as sad as i was selling it and that was my child brain talking it's got melancholy feels to it yeah but it really isn't it's not that devastating there's a lot of hijinks and hoopla 
And there were tender moments too that made it sad, but it really wasn't that. It was more upsetting. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, just Kirsten Dunst's character. I know. Oh my god, that whole scene, that whole plot. I got distracted from the romance part of it. I was like, "What the fuck is happening here?" I know, as a kid, I didn't understand that scene like I understand it now. Yeah, I could see that as a twenty-five-year-old woman. It's distractingly upsetting. Distractingly upsetting. Like that's your B plot. The B plot's crazy. <laughs> The B plot's insane. Like I would have, if I was Jim Carrey, I would have woken up and been like, "What the fuck is happening outside?" You're fucked up, dude. <laughs> Get the fuck out of my house. Get away from my head. <laughs> Get away from her. Yeah, that. Uh, uh, go on. <laughs> well, I think I've said. I right now. I think I've said everything I want to say. I'm sure I'll have something more to add. Is there anything else you want to add before we move on? No. All right. So let's move on to critic reviews. First one is by Sarah Brinks. And this was written in 2017. I have a feeling that Eternal Sunshine, The Spotless Mind is going to be a difficult movie to talk about, but I'll do my best. It was the first Michael Gondry film I saw, so I didn't know what to expect. I think that was the best way to see this film. I went in with no expectations and was absolutely delighted. Eternal Sunshine, The Spotless Mind is weird and chaotic and non-linear, which wonderfully mirrors what memories are like. We remember things in certain ways and is unreliable and disjointed, just like the film. There are moments when you think you are in the present, but it's really in the past or future. You also sometimes don't realize a scene is a memory until it starts to crumble or fade. As the memories start to fade, people's faces become blank the way it is when you try too hard to remember someone's face. I had to give Gondry a lot of credit for that, for having such a non-linear structure. The film makes sense and all the pieces do fit together at the end. It is also a surprisingly optimistic film, despite its subject matter. The film was also very hopeful about love, despite being about erasing people. I think we all have wished that we could erase a person or a memory from our minds, but our memories are so important to who we are that even though they are painful, they still have a lot to teach us. Joel realizes this too late and does his best to save Clementine in some way. It could have been very cheesy when they found each other again, in a notebook kind of way, but because of the way the film is structured, it avoids being cheesy and it's Instead, it's really satisfying. I recently, I don't remember what this person was talking about. I think it, it might have been about past lives. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. But they were saying like, try to think of a, a romance movie that isn't inherently manipulative in the way that the characters pursue each other. Mm -hmm. The notebook is shown in there. He's like hanging off of a Ferris wheel and being like, if you don't say yes to going out to me, I'm going to let go. <laughs> like, what the fuck? That's so fucked. What the fuck? But this one, I think, if you think a little too hard about Joel's character, maybe in some grander way, you could see him as having the opportunity to use it to a manipulative way. What if she erased those memories because she doesn't want to do that again, you know? Yeah. It's almost like a consent thing, you know? Mm-hmm. He doesn't consider that she saw those memories too. She made the decision on her own. It's not like they talked about it and did it at the same time, you know? He doesn't know. Yeah. They make the argument that, like, well, she's impulsive. She did it on impulse. They're reducing her to that? Yeah, in the movie. That benefits your narrative, Joel. Yeah. Sorry. I might be overthinking it, but... I like the idea that they do happen to meet in Montauk. They do end up finding each other. Yeah. I don't know. I like that. I like to think that their foundation is that strong where they would find mm -hmm. each other even after they don't know each other i don't know i think it's sweet <laughs> i don't know the minute i read that like if they do go through the file or whatever mm -hmm. the minute i read that be like nope out of here <laughs> bye bye see you bye bye i don't want to think too hard about it i like i like where it's Sorry, left I off know. i know <laughs> they are good points to make especially when you have the argument of like is it optimistic is it yeah but also like the manic pixie dream girl thing that's making a lot more sense to me we're not getting her perspective we're not fully getting this situation from her eyes she has very little agency in this this narrative very yes it's frustrating yeah maybe she punched him because she remembered and she was like <laughs> had a split second oh fuck this guy one little second of that memory oh i can't be a mother <laughs> I, I won't be okay <laughs> like a gut reaction was like punch him punch him <laughs> you said something shitty and I know it. Mm, I'm going to punch you just in case. <laughs> Let me remind you that I'm not nice if you forget. <laughs> 
But go on, sorry. No, it's good. I also really like the side story between Mary and Dr. Howard. The reveal that he had erased her memory after they had an affair and she started her crush all over again works perfectly with the structure of the film. In fact, I really liked all the side characters from Dr. Howard's office. Mark Ruffalo plays the technician Stan, who is clearly smitten with Mary, but she only has eyes for the doctor. He is so doe-eyed and innocent looking, but in reality, he is stealing Clementine's underwear and using Joel's journals to seduce her. While the whole practice of stealing memories is creepy, Stan feels like the creepiest character. It's probably supposed to St. Patrick. Oh, yeah. I think something that I'm realizing too with this movie is there's a lot being attempted at the same time. Yes. So it gets a little... That's to the distraction and the confusion. There's a lot going on. You will not get everything to first watch. Yeah. And I think Patrick is kind of like another angle of like agency and respect and... Yes. Boundaries. Absolutely. In 2004, we had Jim Carrey play a few serious roles, but never one as dour as Joel at the start of Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Joel does smile and have fun at times, but I think was the most dramatic role I had seen him do up to that point. For someone who had built his career around having an elastic face and solid comic timing, it was great to see him take on a role like this. Additionally, I think Kate Winslet was perfectly cast as the eccentric but delightful Clementine. Winslet shows how Clementine can be fun and flirty and very attractive, but also shows her ugly, damaged side. <laughs> It's Kate Winslet, man. <laughs> yeah, look at her. Look at her. <laughs> you have eyes? <laughs> a lesser actor giving a weak performance as Clementine would have ruined the balance of the film. So desperately needs where you see why the relationship ended, but you also root for them because you see what a good match they really are. As someone who's a little more of a Joel than a Clementine, I know it is good to have people around who challenge you, and they are really a good pair who fortunately get a second chance. I had also the same optimistic view on it. I don't know if it comes down to being a Joel or a Clementine for why I see it this way. I think it just comes down to like emotionally. I, I guess I am more of a Clementine because if I were Clementine, I would have done this for a reason, not just impulse. And I'm saying she's being reduced to impulse a lot. She is, and she is reduced to that a lot in the movie. I agree. That's a big decision to make. He did it on impulse. Maybe she thought about it for once. She's always being called impulsive throughout the movie, but he is also just as impulsive. I just don't like women being put in a box. Put the men in there too. Get the Clementines out of the box, okay? <laughs> put your carry in the box. Would he peel your orange? Would he? I, wa I wonder. The next one is a negative one. So Rachel Wagner. After watching it, I can see why many love it, but I did not enjoy it. <laughs> I find <laughs> Save it, save it. <laughs> I find that to be the case with most Coffins movies. I get why others love them, but they rarely work for me. Eternal Sunshine has the intriguing premise of a procedure where you can erase a person from your memory. When it gets to Carrie's character, Joel, and his relationship with Kate Winslet's Clementine, it is better, but the movie fails to show why the memories are so devastating. It feels like checking out boxes in the memory department, a manic pixie dream girl trope, more than true devastating memories. Maybe this could have been more impactful if we weren't constantly interrupting the flow of the narrative with Ruffalo flirting with Dunce. Honestly, I was distracted so much during this movie. I didn't really feel a whole lot of impact by the romance at all. They don't give us enough time to invest, I would say. In Joel and Clementine? Yeah, because we're constantly jumping out and jumping back in. Yeah. Like, it could have just been his experience in there, I think. That's what I always thought this movie was. I didn't realize there was so much else going on. It was a heavy B-plot. <laughs> heavy B-plot. It wasn't so much that I didn't enjoy it, but I feel like I was always sold this movie as having more investment in their relationship. Mm-hmm. And I didn't feel that invested in their relationship. I definitely get that. And especially a lot of the memories are when it's not so good in the relationship too. He has more memories of the bad times than he does the really good times. I agree this movie could have been made just with that scene or just with or just the yeah, just the those memory scenes. racing scenes. Absolutely. I do like the B-plot though. I love the drama. <laughs> I find it interesting. It's just I feel the movie wanting me to be more impacted by the relationship. To care more than what it gives. Yeah. I think it would have been interesting, in my opinion, if they were to focus more on that, like have an inner cut with like his real life or her real life in that, like just the Patrick part, maybe that would feel like a healthy amount of inner cutting. Like once we find out that Patrick and Clementine are dating, then we just start cutting back and forth between those two. Yeah, I mean, it could have been done differently to evoke different feelings. What I felt they were trying to do is not what I felt that they did. That is fair. Mm -hmm. It actually took me several sittings to finish this film because I was not engaged. Perhaps part of it is I'm more of a fan 
fan of relationships starting rather than exploring breakups. I recently liked the breakup abstract from Wander Darkly, but that had way more focus on the couple than this. But I was open to it. Unfortunately, it just felt really fractured and distracted from its main premise and something that might have been more interesting as a short. Think World of Tomorrow than a feature film. I could see this being a really good short. Especially with how artsy this is, like it probably would have made a good short. I think like a lot of problems that I had with it could be remedied if there was more focus on both of them or if it was like a... <sighs> I'm, I'm trying to think of it in a way that's not too, like, Black Mirror. Uh-huh, yeah. Maybe she didn't erase her memories. Maybe she's talking to a friend about it or something, or she's, like, reminiscing on the relationship while he's, like, going through his memories of the relationship. And, like, the differences in how they talk about it would have made me more invested and root for them if I knew why they both wanted to be back in it, not just him. Right, very true. I don't know, yeah, just hearing any kind of her perspective on anything outside of talking to Joel. Yeah, and asking him if she's ugly. Mm-hmm. Anything else about this review? No, I don't think it was like harsh. It wasn't that harsh. Yeah. I just think like, to me, that wasn't a reason to hate this movie. It's just like, I I, I hope somebody makes a movie more like the one that I expected this one to be. Fair enough. Because like, yeah, this movie's not perfect. I still like what how it is yeah it's enjoyable yeah for what it is it's good and then you can have your own opinion about what they could have done more what they could have done less you know yeah i think it would be a good writing exercise like it would be a good script to workshop yeah interesting yeah all right so we're gonna move on to the next one by debbie lynn elias anyone that knows me knows this when it comes to jim carrey i'm not a fan with only two exceptions i would rather have a root canal than watch a carrey film and after he seeing internal sunshine of the spotless mind i still prefer the root canal root canals aren't that bad i've had like three at the same time don't you get like numbed yeah yeah that's fine then if you're They're not that bad if you're numbed the sounds kind of get to me a little bit especially when they're doing a cavity but yeah, I would, I would rather get a root canal than data cavity filled, in my experience. Really? Yeah. I mean, I've also had a teeth extraction. Those hurt more. They get rough with teeth extractions. Like, when you're out, they're because with wisdom yeah. teeth, you don't want to wake I, up during that. I got all of my wisdom teeth and a tooth extraction at the same time. Dang. Because <laughs> they're rough with wisdom teeth. They, they're not... They're yanking it. They had their foot on your forehead. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you got a size a 10. Print. Yeah. All over your face. Get a Dr. Scholl's. <laughs> God damn it. Root canals aren't that bad comparatively. It's just going back to get the per the temporary crowns taken off. Yeah. What's your beef with Jim Carrey? I don't know. Pe people have random beef with Jim Carrey. Jim Terry takes another stab at drama with his portrayal of Joel. Vacuous, tempered, and toned down, even bland, Joel is the antithesis of what we know Carrie to be, and Carrie, trying to counter his well-known manic characterizations, goes so far to the despondent side of the personality meter that he fails to even register. A bit more of the comic attitude, the serious nature of the part would, I believe, have given us a winning combination and much more effective performance. Sadly, Kate Winslet, who was magical as Rose in Titanic, is wasted here as Clementine. Engaging, likable, and curiously quirky, Winslet's high voltage wattage is lost in the overly tempered carry. Um, two things. Mm -hmm. First, it it seems like if there was any reason that they might hate Jim Carrey, it would be for how he normally is. So it's like, hey, he did something different. Two, you like her better as Rose? I will not apologize. I don't give a toot about Titanic. I don't either. An interesting quartet of supporting actors, however, fare a bit better than Carrie. Tom Wilkinson is a solid in his interpretation of Dr. Howard, giving us a man with a good bedside manner that seems to peer from a shroud of darkness. They thought this character really shined in the movie. I, I guess, like, here's the thing. Was his cover really that solid? He was just, we just didn't know that about him yet. I don't think that counts as he really, he really tricked us by covering up that the, he's this evil, scary. Like, yeah, sure, he's, he's gross and creepy and, mm -hmm. yeah, but it's not like he was a main character. No, and also just like, yeah, he has, he's a doctor, he has bedside manner until... You you hate Jim Carrey so much that you would compliment that that guy who is like barely noticeable. He does not a standout in this movie. He's not. He has 20 lines throughout the whole movie. Kirsten Dunst. Like Mary as a character is more intriguing and noticeable in this movie. Even when she's sitting in the reception desk. That's just some guy. You pick the smallest character within the movie. Probably besides... His wife. Yeah. Who shows up for two minutes. And outshines him. Exactly. She lays down this killer line. Chris, uh... 
I want to say Kristen so bad. Kirsten. Kirsten Dunst and Elijah Wood as Howard's assistants. Mary and Patrick show once again that they have a wealth of untapped talent and ability as their performances are far superior to the film as a whole. The standout, however, is Mark Ruffalo as Howard's assistant. Showing his diverse range of talents, Ruffalo is perfect as the nerdy Stan, creating a character depth that both shows and evokes emotion. They named themselves The Clash. You hate Jim Carrey so much that you think those, they they were great, okay? They, they were did great. fine. Everybody was, they were all great. But those were, very, Mark Ruffalo is very much a two-dimensional, he's a stoner fuck-up. There's six characters in this movie, and you picked, <laughs> you picked the- Everybody but the two main ones. Like, come on. Like, sure, the story kind of, their story gets a little muddled with all the other stories. I didn't walk out of this thinking that they all did the best job. Yeah. Better than the leads. I think the leads did stand out performances. Yeah. Directed by veteran music video director Michael Gondry, Journal Sunshine begins as a frighteningly distressing piece of realism, only to explode into a kaleidoscopic surrealism thanks to a splashy visuals running free in the mind of our main character. The choreographic flair of a music video, Gondry bounces around in Joel's mind like a whammo superball, jumping between the joyous and tragic memories of Joel's less than wonderful life, but adding a rather mutated skew to each visual. While the imagery is vivid, it fails to support the narrative backbone the story lead to a lack of continuity and a disjointedness in the film that mirrors its characters. One of the most gifted video directors of our time, Gondry's style remains the same in, in shooting a feature film, which in this case results in a failure to direct the audience through the convoluted labyrinth of the Charlie Kaufman story. A large part of the failure of Eternal Sunshine falls on the writer Charlie Kaufman, who tries to be slick and quick with a written word, but in doing so leaves his characters running on empty and his director with no way to fill in the gaps or tie the pieces together. Disastrous for bringing the film to its ultimate conclusion. An interesting premise with some good conceptualization, Kaufman falls short on continuity and as a result leaves his characters in the audience feeling disjointed and lost. With a tagline of, would you erase me, I can only beg someone to erase internal sunshine from theaters quickly. I don't know if it falls on the writer. I don't think so either. It seems like he took the writer's script and said, mm. <laughs> that's a lot of work. <laughs> what if you guys just went with the flow? Just improv, you know, let's try that. He gets up, he rips the script in half. He goes, no scripts. <laughs> <laughs> First rule of Eternal Sunshine and Spotless Mind, no scripts. No scripts. This isn't your regular movie set, guys. <laughs> I'm not like your other directors that you've had before. He turns his chair backwards. <laughs> yes. This is going to be a little more fast and loose. <laughs> Buckle up. It's movie time. Hit it. It's, it's like a hip hop course. <laughs> there's, have you seen the episode of Bob's Burgers where they take Bob and Teddy, I think, take a hip hop dance class? I think so. That's what I'm thinking of. They, mm -hmm. they tell them they're not allowed to tie their shoes. <laughs> he just ends every scene. Instead of saying cut, he goes like this. And then like there's a DJ and he goes, record scratches. <laughs> but in French, we, we. <laughs> A lot of improv today. Really feeling the spirit of this movie. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I understand most of the second half of it. I don't think it was the script necessarily because I don't think they used it. But I I don't know what your beef is with the, the leads. Yeah, really. Well, you called them bland and wish he was more like his funny self. But you told us you, you didn't him. like him as his funny self. So what did you want? What a hateful woman. Yeah. <laughs> Look at these hateful women. I love the Massey Twins. <laughs> Any, I'll use them anytime. I love them. I love when they love. I love when they love and I can't help but include them when they really like something. And if you if you had asked me before without looking at it, hey, the Massey Twins wrote a review about this movie. Guess, did they hate it or love it? I probably would have leaned towards hated. I think I would have guessed they love it because as much as they are dorks for like sci-fi and shit, this kind of fits. But it's like artsy and like... It's all over the place and you have to like really get it, you know? Not saying that that's why you like it or anything. No, 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 yeah. I'm just saying they'd be annoying about it. True. I get that. Well, they did love it. It's a 9 out of 10. So let's see how, see how close you get. <laughs> <laughs> There's something immediately natural and improvisational about the dialogue. Carrie is shy, reserved, and not terribly expressive. He's at his most authentic, portraying a more believable character than he's ever done before. And Winslet is equally alluring. The two of them behave and act as if they're a genuine couple, as if in a documentary, with the camera rolling on normal, diurnal, and almost uneventful routines. 
and indeed the use of handheld, occasionally invasive photography coupled with low lighting or naturally occurring light sources gives the imagery a bit of a non-fictional look. Remember when they hated Megamind because the girl wasn't hot? <laughs> Kate Winslet's hot, though. Why they gave her the 9 out of 10. <laughs> Hey, sexy lady. <laughs> in a rather shocking twist, it's more than 15 minutes into the film before the opening credits start to appear. The initial romance is merely the setup. With a screenplay by Charlie Kaufman and direction by Michael Gondry, the timeline is like a ball of yarn. Quick cuts find characters shifting back and forth even within a single shot. The story unfolds like a mystery, with scenes unhurriedly divulging silvers of information, with questions continuing to pile up faster than the answers are resolved. Introducing a touch of science fiction to the romantic drama, the plot grows even more of truce. The memory degradation process is both confusing and brilliant. Scenes transpire out of order, blending into one another or repeating with distinct irregularities, while somber music narrates the dourness of a great love being abolished before it becomes a great love. After all, the relationship deteriorates and disappears right in front of the audience, while it simultaneously generates details to make it more significant. The film also uses blurriness, characters disappearing from the frame, locations merging into others against geographical sensibility, footage rewinding, shadows creeping across the faces, the wrong soundtracks layered over unrelated sequences, and even computer graphics for distortion. I feel, uh, those all seem like things that if this were a different movie, they would hate. Those all also sound like they could have easily been accidents. Yep. They gave it a 9 out of 10 because Kate Winslet's why I know that's why. They and it's because it's, it's different. It's different. It's different. <laughs> but the thing with like um, the scenes, like people shifting, that just like is another thing with the director where I'm like, you don't give a shit about continuity at all. No. I don't take those as artistic choice and I won't give you the, the satisfaction. I agree. I completely agree. I'm not, I'm not giving him credit either. At the same time that the film is sensationally creative and outrageously funny, it's also entirely sweet. Irresponsible technicians Patrick, Stan, and Mary provide comic relief as they exploit the central lover situation, additionally serving as the antagonist in Joel's fight against his slowly vanishing memories. Just a goofy guy. He's just a goofy guy. He just, he just stole her underwear just and is trying to seduce her with, with her, her own memories. Thoughts. Yeah, exactly. Just using them against her. Sure. Oh, it's just silly goofy. Just boys being boys. Maybe you're right. Maybe they maybe the for a lot of people it's not overtly like these are pieces of shit people men these are pieces of shit men or i think the fact that she uh fell for it mm. is reason enough for them to absolve some of it damn that's so disgusting <laughs> now we're just speculating not the intention just the audience members that it could be dangerous to show that to mm. damn oh <sighs> Plus the eventual self-aware manipulation of dreams to impede his impulsive decision transforms into comical absurdity as if a parody of the Matrix. Once the arrangement or rearrangement of the timeline becomes more manageable, picture carries on a touch longer than necessary, though further mind-blowing revelations surface in this acid trip of a movie. A masterwork of originality and a mesmerizing examination of second chances and the ups and downs of love, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is touching, tragic, inspiring, funny, hopeful, and most importantly, powerfully romantic. No, y'all just say stuff sometimes. <laughs> they did like Clueless though. I can't like. I know, and I don't want to. I don't want to put words in their mouth. You know, specifically. I do. <laughs> and I get that. I totally get that. I hate these guys. They're flip flopping like a pair of sandals. And do you see why I would think they would hate it so easily? This one, I feel like if Clementine was the main character and it was her and her memories, I could see them easily not liking this movie. I can imagine this whole movie not being as successful as it is from Joel's perspective. I think the whole movie itself would probably not be as acclaimed as it is now. I'll bet Lady Bird likes this movie. <gasps> yes. That's why her hair's pink. Clementine walked so Lady Bird could run. There you go. There you go. That little idiot. I love her. <laughs> yeah. Not Clementine, Lady Bird. Yeah. All right. We're going to start with audience reviews. Unless you want to finish... No, they, it went about as I thought it would. Yeah. They were the only ones to say it was a parody of The Matrix. Or like it felt like a parody of The Matrix. I feel like those two could find any any movie, they could link it back to The Matrix somehow. Hey, hey. We could link anything to 9-11. <laughs> True. This came out in 2004. Let's start. <laughs> Not hard. Not hard. No, we can do Easy this. Easy mode. Absolutely. All right, let's do audience review. So this is a 10 out of 10. It just says imagine. 
So this movie gives us what we all secretly wish for, a chance to forget something that hurts us in the past. The viewer can almost live vicariously through the two dysfunctional characters that are remarkably just like ordinary people. The relationship problems are the same. The little fights and bickers are things we all can relate to. The acting was amazing throughout the movie. I actually forgot that I was watching Mr. Ace Ventura himself. Carrie and Winslet pull off a great performance, both ditching the tight cast that they've been shackled with. Not only did the film give us the opportunity to see what it was like if painful memories were erased, but it also gave us the opportunity to see that everything deserves a second chance. The way it ends leaves the viewer to imagine how the characters' lives will end. The idealist may say that they lived happily ever after. The pessimist may say that they just revert to disliking each other again. Either way, it leaves you to imagine your own ending, a characteristic many films leave out. Basically, this movie makes you think, what if? It truly gives a new meaning to the phrase, you never know what you got until it's gone. This review in like juxtaposition with the second negative one, uh-huh. just the epitome of you can't please everybody because kate winslet also was put in the like titanic box yeah absolutely i think they both proved everybody wrong with this movie absolutely sorry i just saw the next one <laughs> so good four and a half stars from letterbox this also happened when i dyed my hair same same <laughs> same one star call me an idiot but i didn't understand shit hey you're not an idiot no it's a lot exactly it's a lot you're not an idiot it's on the director it's not on you so this next one is five stars from Letterboxd. Also, remember, love is dead and always has been. Nothing matters and we're all going to die anyway. Happy Valentine's Day. I didn't get that from this movie. I, that, was, that was not my takeaway. Would you Would you say that was a little bit of yours or? I think with them portraying her as being able to move on so easily. Yeah. Mm, okay. Also, personal level. I'm a burn it all down and move on kind of person. <laughs> yeah. And you are too. I've been there with you. <laughs> okay. You've seen it. <laughs> we have a scorched earth policy. Okay. We do. Five stars from Letterboxd. I pray people get broken up with so I can recommend this movie. It's the same as the person who did that first one. Exactly. They came back around and another another one. I think it's also important because the first time you saw it, you had never had a relationship. Second time you saw it, you're in a happy relationship. Yeah, as a grown woman too at 25. Yeah. I think it also matters what's going on in your life when you see it. Yes. It's like past lives in that way too. That movie affects you differently based on where you are at in life. Definitely. And on the relatability scale as well. I'm assuming that this person watched this movie right after breakup. Mm -hmm. I'm getting that vibe. I, as a scorched earth girly myself, mm -hmm. I wouldn't want this. No. So I get it. Yeah. But like, buck up, kiddo. <laughs> yeah. It... <laughs> This next one's a one star from Letterboxd. It's a plus. Kristen Dunn's dancing on bed was my gay awakening. And the two negatives. I think I was supposed to feel things. And the other was, this is just two awful people being awful to each other. I could see that. If you think about his reasoning for doing it. Yeah. I don't think they're both awful people. I think they just are two people that need therapy before another relationship. Fair. Fair enough. Uh, this next one's four stars from Letterboxd. This dream isn't feeling sweet. Oh, this is a Lord lyric. <laughs> Go on. When I put it down, I was like, oh, I'm going to sing it. I'm not going to sing it. I'm not going to do this. If you like Lord, just put on Lord and put on this movie. It it, it goes along with it. <laughs> Syncs up with the, the Pure Heroin album. <laughs> <laughs> yup. Yup. It's the same thing. No, I think ribs. It syncs up with ribs. Yes, absolutely. Sex one's a one star. This movie is uh bad. Nothing of this clicked with me. It felt like a movie that people would watch at 16 to 18 years old and think it's the deepest movie they've ever seen. If you want to classify every character as a manic pixie dream girl or boy, you can because this movie is bonkers and no one is a real character. Yeah, they're, they're, these are not fully developed characters, for sure. For sure. I agree, yeah. Like, this is a movie that 16 to 18 year olds would watch and say it's the deepest movie ever, but you don't have to be mean. They're going through enough. Exactly. Yeah. Let them breathe. This next one has zero stars. Well, technically, Internal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is brain damage. What if I get brain damage? You will. Th this is brain damage. He said, oh, it's just like a night of drinking. I don't think that's what that does. That's two years of a person you're racing your mind. That doesn't happen with a night of drinking. Four stars from Lairbox. Imagine ever wanting to erase Kate Winslet from your memory. Can't relate. Same. Hey, he was resistant to it. Yeah. He forgot what she looked like. <laughs> exactly. He was in there going, damn. <laughs>
This next one's four stars from Letterboxd. Oh man, I'm sorry guys. I was not affected by this like everyone else was. It wasn't bad or anything. I thought it was good. It had an interesting story. And I really liked the course it took. I just wasn't blown away, mind-fucked, or emotional like I expected to be. I appreciate this kind of review. It's like, yeah, it's, it's not like earth-shattering truths or anything like that. It's just like, if you're 15, it is. Yeah. And you got recently broken up with for the first time. Sure. That too. This next one's a one star. Unrealistic because how she get her hair that blue after orange? She knows what she's doing with hair dye, okay? Don't, don't question Clementine. Yeah. She knows what all of those colors are named. <laughs> exactly. She's trial and errored. She knows what T18 toner is, okay? They know her by name in there. <laughs> mm -hmm. This next one's a uh, no stars from Letterboxd. Charlie Kaufman is a weird little freak who writes women really hatefully. But Kate Winslet plays Clementine like a human being, and Michael Gondry directs this like it's a beautiful love story, so it ends up sort of working. I do understand what they mean. We were saying that about Kate Winslet earlier. Yeah. Personally, if I were to interpret it outside of what it was meant to say, I'm interpreting it as people who forget all of the bad parts of a relationship after a breakup and just keep coming back to it. That's my interpretation of that. Interpret it however you want. But it's a good point. It's a good point. And I don't think that was the intent, obviously. It does feel like they want you to believe that this is a... I definitely like was led to believe like it's a hopeful, hopeful ending. You're not wrong in thinking it's not. No one is. And that, that's why I don't feel as optimistic about the two of them. Fair. So this is our last review, five star from Letterboxd. I have previously written four reviews on this film, and even though I have tried to fully express myself through thousands of words and dozens of paragraphs, I hate all of them, simply because none of them, no matter how the phrases I use, no matter the stories I tell, nor meanings I discuss, no amount of words will ever adequately describe how much I love this film. I watch it in every imaginal emotional state, and I always find a sense of comfort in it. This viewing experience has been the most intimate of all, and if it weren't already connected to every state my being and interlinked with every fiber of my soul it certainly is now eternally person loves this movie calm down <laughs> this is their down. this is their citizen kane apparently this is um there are movies i love more than anything on this planet i don't think i would describe them like that it's a lot you haven't even seen Coraline. i haven't heard you talk about Coraline. what's your second favorite <laughs> Better be Coraline. Do you feel that way about this movie? Me? Yeah. No, I do not feel. Okay. I am on par with the guy who's all like, I think it was a good movie, but I'm not crying about it. I'm not being a fucking pussy about it. <laughs> Is that, well, yeah, a little bit. I was like, when I watched it when I, the first time around, I was like, whoa, this is a really sad, impactful, deep movie because I was a teenager. Now I'm at 25 now. It's no detachment. But... <laughs> yep. No, for God's sake, I did not. <laughs> I, I was not on that level. I, I feel about the same as that other person too, where it's like, it's a it's a good movie. Yeah, it's good. I, it, I do not feel the same as this last person, but got to end it on a high note. Yeah, of course. But how would you rate this movie on a scale of one to 10? It's hard to keep a consistent rating. I know. So six and a half. Okay. That's higher than I thought you were going to put it. Six. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to put it at a seven and a half. But do you have anything else you want to say? No. Same. Okay. So if you have any movies you want to recommend for us to do in the future, you can reach out to us on our Instagram at Easy Bake Takes. We also have our TikTok at Easy Bake Takes. We have our website, EasyBakeTakesPodcast.com. Don't forget to leave a review wherever you listen and follow and share us with a friend because it really helps us out a lot. And thank you so much for listening. My name is Kat. And I'm Riley. This has been Easy Bake Takes. Easy watching out there. Bye. Bye.